On August the 22nd, I will be joining thousands of other people across the UK to boycott my bed to raise money for action for children. What is boycott your bed? Well, it's asking people to ditch their duvet, blanket, pack away their pillow and to join forces with friends, family or colleagues to raise money and spend the night in the most unusual place in your home. You could rough it in the garden, pitch a tent under your table or bunk down in the bathroom. But wherever you sleep, you'll be helping vulnerable children and families who are in desperate need. If you're interested in taking part in this event, why don't you simply search Boycott Your Bed. It's boycottyourbed.co.uk. Alternatively, you could always just support my efforts and that of my Harvey Nash colleagues. I will share a link to my Just Giving page in the show notes. Anyway, on to today's show. So you might have someone who's a dermatologist who's never utilised a ventilator or doesn't know um, uh, the, how a, a, an intensive care unit is run, and they're also integrated with new team members. Um, so that that was something that we were basically able to help with. How can you quickly orient um, and, and onboard people to new departments and new ways of working? On the podcast today, we're welcoming Alex Young, the CEO of Verti, an organisation who are improving human performance and training for organisations with a special focus on health. This is Tech Talks. It's your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, where we bring you news and interviews from across the tech sector. Joining me for today's show, we have a guest co-host, Mala, who is Forbes 30 Under 30, works for the company Selen, and is also a podcast host for the Royal Society of Medicine. And you're a doctor. This... You're just kind of making me feel like an underachiever now. <laughs> How are you? I am good, and um, that's unfair because um, you have the most ridiculous number of podcasts in your in your back pocket. I, yeah, How many is it? This number is this over over three hundred. But to be perfectly honest, I could you could sit there and make a whole load of podcasts, and no one no one you know it wouldn't really matter if people listened or not. You still would have made a load of podcasts. You are a doctor. I said that as a throwaway thing at the end, like it was the least consequential thing of everything that you've done. Um, you just out of interest because your your LinkedIn talks about you being a doctor. What was your speciality? So uh, this is this is where I will lose all my credibility. So <laughs> I was a um, I was a doctor working for approximately six months. Um, before I uh, handed in my notice, maybe even less than that, actually, uh, before I handed in my notice and I moved into the tech space. So before I had all, you know, been working as a doctor, I had spent my medical school days doing lots of different healthcare technology bits and pieces, was at Harvard's Digital Health Accelerator, was down at the European Space Agency in Germany. So I was doing different bits. And then when I worked in the NHS, I just thought, you know, there's a lot to be done. So I handed in my notice and I, and I went to the technology side. I don't know why you think that makes you lose credibility. You still qualified as a doctor. You just realised that you <laughs> felt that you could do more elsewhere. That's perfectly fine. I, you know, maths and science at school, not my strong point at all. Um, so you're joining us. I, I mentioned that you're also a podcast host, so that's exciting. So this is a new uh, not a new medium rather for you, digital healthcare podcast host in the Royal Society of Medicine. And it's lovely to have you on today's show because we are talking about a health tech business in the form of Verti. So we'll hand over to the interview with our guest today, who is Alex, and then myself and Marla will come back with some commentary on it afterwards. 
So today we're talking to Alex Young. Alex, you're the the founder of Verti, um, and you're also a doctor by training. So uh, one of the group of kind of doctorpreneurs out there, people who've who've got medical training, but are now looking at technology to try and solve some of the issues facing healthcare, right? Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I've always been quite entrepreneurial. So, uh, as you say, I I trained as a doctor um, and then specialised in trauma and orthopaedic surgery. Which, uh, for anyone listening who doesn't know what that is, that's fixing bones when they've been fractured from accidents, or doing hip or knee replacements, or doing sports injury mm-hmm. rehabilitation. So, um, that was my kind of, I guess, day job. I've always been sort of very entrepreneurial. So, uh, when I was a med student, had a a company that was involved in. Uh, training doctors and nurses. Um, And I guess my journey through healthcare was one of uh, seeing people uh, in very, very kind of stressful environments, um, being put under a lot of pressure. And my my sort of other interests as well are are education. So I've got a degree in um, surgical education and, and teaching. And my big emphasis when I was training and, and equally now is all around how we can sort of make our workforces, our people perform as well as they possibly can do. Um, and, and that was really kind of where the idea for Verti came from. So look, before we get into into the meat of this, what exactly is Verti? You've kind of hinted at it in as much as what you've said there around uh, your background, what you're interested in, and even it sounds like almost a precursor company to this whilst you were, whilst you were training. But what exactly does Verti do? So, uh, Verdi, our, our mission is basically to um, make experiential, i.e. on-the-job uh, training, affordable and accessible for everybody on the planet uh, to improve human performance. Um, and what the, the way that we go about that is um, we are a digital training platform. Uh, we use a number of technologies, including augmented reality, virtual reality, and artificial intelligence. Um, and we effectively work um, with organizations um, looking at how their existing learning and development and, and employee training needs are met and looking at some of their organizational goals. Um, and then we provide them with a, a web-based platform that allows for the creation, management, and analysis um, of content uh, that, that aims to train up their employees and that collects um, specifically objective analytical data around how their their employees perform in these kind of virtual simulated environments uh, to then give them unique insights, which are are driven by data science um, and help their workforce um, uh, grow and and perform to their best. And um, on the distribution side of that, we then have apps which are plugged into this this centralized dashboard, um, which uh, go to virtual reality headsets, augmented reality headsets, as well as mobile phones um, and desktop browsers. So um, we sort of consider ourselves to provide an end-to-end solution, both in terms of the services we do. So um, we do a lot of kind of like education strategy around how these types of technologies um, can be integrated into organizations and can help them solve some of their, their key goals, um, as well as then providing an end-to-end technology platform where we're one of the few people in the training marketplace where we can actually go in and give you know pretty unbiased opinions on, on what we feel uh, the best types of technologies are to solve some of these key problems. So I suppose the, the interesting point here would be your background is medical. Uh, if you kind of go on the Verti website, it talks about the fact that you were part of the NHS acceleration program. Um, it's being used within the NHS, right? Is, is Make sure I get that right. Yep. Yeah. Um, you yourself, uh, I, I assume, 
at some point in your medical training had to get hands on with a patient for the first time as part of your as part of your learning experience and it might have been in a trauma situation it might have been high pressure it might have been stressful is there an element that whilst a vr environment is an amazing way to train safely um and try and re are you are you trying to re uh, create some of those situations or or is this lower down the value chain i suppose in terms of because at some point right you got you got to be in a high pressure situation because it's, sooner or later it's going to be a person that you you've got to try and save a particular limb or or help through a situation that they they hadn't foreseen Yes, it's it's a great question, and, and obviously I, I trained in surgery, but I I had my sort of general medical training um, before specialising. And if we just take a step back, you know, the way that um, health professionals learn very similar to most um, other professions in in um, the mediums that they use. So if you think about the scalable end, that's often things like textbooks, it's e-learning, um, it's video, and those those kind of methodologies and mediums tend to be quite unengaging and often people don't retain a lot of information so um, especially if you're kind of like a visual like thinker or learner um, and you're trying to learn something practical it can be very difficult getting stuff really um, embedded in your memory unless you're actually doing something right so um, for healthcare where you've obviously got elements of um, very very practical uh, training that needs to be delivered the best type of training that I experienced through through my training was always on the job, face-to-face training with experts who um, will, first of all, show you how to do something. So in surgery, there's an old kind of Confucius-derived uh, adage, which is um, see one, do one, teach one, i.e. Mm-hmm. watch someone do something. Um, then you practice doing something where you you receive feedback and then you, you teach someone else to really uh, become proficient in that. Now, that, that's a bit of a simplification, but... Effectively, um, for surgical training, you would start um, for for practical skills, performing something on a cadaver or on a what's called a sawbone, which is like a a kind of um, a perspex or, or it used to be kind of like actual wood recreation of a bone where you're you're fixing it or something like that. Before you then get get um, observed doing something on a patient and, and get that fed back. Um, so so that that gives there's a big patient safety risk there whereas people aren't adequately trained and the first time they are actually learning is on a patient you know that's that's pretty pretty horrifying to most people um if you also think about communication skills and soft skills training a lot of that is very subjectively assessed so by that i mean if we were um having a uh, a medical conversation or any type of conversation and someone is assessing us and and uh, quantifying our soft skills ability, whether that's something like breaking bad news to a patient, whether it's something like uh, a sales conversation, you know, whatever it is, the person who's doing the assessing will be influenced by their own experiences and it will be very, very subjectively fed back. So there's no objective standard really for for critique. Um, and th- the other big problem with, with healthcare training and most other on-the-job in-person training is it's very serendipitous and unequal and there's a lot of variability so if i were to go and work with an amazing surgeon in one hospital in a certain area on a certain day my training experience might be significantly better than someone who is on the other side of the world who doesn't have access to that same trainer and although we are both surgeons and we're both at the same level um, my subsequent ability might be quite a lot better and, and that's unfair and it's not not equal. Um, 
And surgery itself is, is effectively um, uh, an apprenticeship type learning model. So you, you go and you work with people. It, it's very sort of reflective um, in, in how you learn. So you will do some things correctly, you'll make mistakes, but then you you um, reflect on those and, and you grow. Um, and a lot of that is depending on how much and how frequently you can actually actually access those training environments. So look, I, I can I can envisage this situation where you've got kind of a, a surgeon teaching a class of 200 doctors remotely all wearing virtual reality or augmented reality headsets at any point in the world. Kind of ignores the point, though, that some clinicians necessarily aren't overly uh, au fait with technology themselves. Is that is that been an issue or is that something that I might be overstating? Because I, I would imagine that there might be some surgeons who don't want to teach in this way and take a bit of convincing yes it's, it's interesting so i mean we the way that we sort of think about things and we we are effectively like a digital training platform so um, arvr are some of the types of tools that we use um, and when we work with people often we we will say you know this is where our type of training and technology can be integrated into your existing training workflows so um, the type of training technology that we provide, it's not going to completely replace in-person training, nor should it ever. Um, but one of the big benefits of it is if you think about some of the things I was just talking about, say um, communication skills is a great example where it's subjectively assessed. Some of our clever AI technology can um, collect the data points from that using data science and make that quantifiable so that you can suddenly compare individuals in an organization and say actually who is very who is a very good communicator who needs to be fed back more specific um, information around how to improve and for surgical training as well where there's a huge amount of variability in the way that um, people operate or the way that they behave um, especially with things like teamwork and communication skills from how people move their hands and how quickly um, they they perform different stages of the operation, we try and demonstrate value where we can pull out unique data insights and inform our customers um, such that their overall training time of their employees is shortened, the the, the knowledge retention of the employees is improved, um, and the overall training experience is then better and they feel more prepared. Um, and, and that then kind of leads into almost like... Um, uh, a larger kind of people discussion, which is there's a, there's a lot of evidence around if people are better trained and they feel better prepared for some of these very, very um, high intensity, high emotion clinical environments, um, they will be less stressed, they'll be less anxious. Mm -hmm. And certainly in healthcare where doctor burnout is a massive issue, um, you, you can also you know, improve productivity within an organization. How have you addressed the, the issue of bias? Because listening to you there, one, one of the things that jumps to mind is, you know, if, if I think about online um, machine learning driven teaching platforms, if you've got something that's empirically correct or not, I suppose there's less of an issue potentially with bias if it's, if it's just a, a, a repetitive program going, no, you've got that wrong. Um, but you said there that there's a huge amount of, of variability. There's, I suppose there's, there's, there's no definite yes you've done that the right or wrong way people's hands move at different speeds i suppose people have been trained in different parts of the world different medical techniques and practices so that that must create um difficulty in kind of spotting patterns and and uh, making sure that your ai is is learning in a way that uh is is wholly inclusive and does try to minimize that bias 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's the really cool thing. I mean, certainly for me as a surgeon, um, when you're actually learning, often it's difficult to know what the the benchmark really is, like how how good actually are you? You know, certainly on a global scale, that's almost impossible. Um, so one of the things that our technology can do is it will effectively learn and collect a lot of data around how a quorum of, of users perform across the platform. So then you've got quite an, an objective peer comparison to how you perform against your um, your sort of demographic. So, so whether that's someone at your stage of training, whether it's someone in your geography, whatever that may be, um, as well as then seeing where that compares to surgeons who've been practicing for you know 20 to, to 50 years um, so that you then have a much better understanding of, of where you sit and what you need to get better at. And it, it will also break down um, specific areas and show weaknesses and strengths. And, you know, I, I go back to kind of soft skills training just because um, that that is so subjectively assessed um, where you've got things like people's cadence, how they talk, the content of what they're describing, um, which can really, really impact the patient's experience when they're in hospital. Just humor me for a second. We're in a, we're in a world where social distancing is is kind of probably going to be an element of, of of the norm for some time. Doctors are on the front line are having to put themselves in in harm's way. Uh, I doubt that that's uh, any different for surgeons. Obviously, they're they're definitely going to find themselves in 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 difficult situations. I I was watching a hospital on the BBC, and they showed a, a surgery um, where the doors were kind of taped off, and people were trying to communicate to each other via walkie talkies, and it just looked like awfully ham-fisted workarounds but all that they really had available to them given the circumstances medical devices i suppose and autonomous machines teamed up with your tech offer some interesting possibilities don't they yeah i mean i think um the the covid pandemic and um its effects you know specifically on healthcare but but other business sectors as well has been really interesting it's kind of shone a light on a lot of the things that we were talking about certainly for the most part of last year, which is how do you take face-to-face training or role play or, or anything like this, which is often quite you know, unscalable, uh, inconvenient for people to access and, and deliver that remotely. So now that people actually can't physically be in the same environment, um, how can you collaborate and how can you assess things like, like teamwork and so forth? So um, you know, we, we've done a huge amount of work around quickly upskilling health professionals during the COVID crisis. And I think you know, just to... Um, even emphasize that more. The COVID crisis, certainly in, in the UK and the US, um, there was a huge amount of upskilling of the workforce that needed to be done in a very short space of time. So, for example, um, a lot of the, the health professionals are being redeployed to places like the intensive care unit or respiratory wards because um, COVID-19 is obviously a respiratory condition. And so you might have someone who's a dermatologist who's never utilized a ventilator or doesn't know um, uh, the, how a, a, an intensive care unit is run. And they're also integrated with new team members. Um, so that, that was something that we were basically able to help with. How can you quickly orient um, and, and onboard people to new departments and new ways of working? Um, and then from a kind of organizational level, the traditional method of, of quickly upskilling people to put on protective equipment, because again, not every single healthcare professional um, will will be used to putting on the, the specific type of protective equipment, like the PAPA face masks for, that are protective for aerosolizing conditions. Um, so the, the standard there is you'd actually have to physically get every member of staff down, 
to a sort of centralized physical training area, demonstrate how to put it on, and then quickly kind of assess to make sure. And from a health professional's point of view, um, you know, that's a one-off training uh, period. And you need something to kind of refer back to. And the only thing to refer back to really is kind of online guidelines or something like that, which are practical. Mm -hmm. So one of the cool things we were then able to do was provide not only um, a way to scale training remotely through our sort of digital system, but also a way for organizations to ensure their staff were completing that training. Um, And then we were also able to provide staff with what's called just-in-time training, i.e. they then got a refresher on their mobile phone, uh, which is interactive and and immersive, um, just before they go in to to see a patient and they put on the protective equipment. So you've then kind of got um, the pre-training, the training, and the the post-training kind of reference materials all available to the workforce. Now, quickly to end on, uh, you're dabbling in the world of podcasting yourself. Uh, Is that a podcast? I I assume it's a podcast aimed at medical professionals and supporting the work that you're doing. Is that correct? Uh, Well, it's it's actually, I mean, we kind of operate um, kind of cross sector. So we have customers in kind of business, um, oil and gas cross sector. So, but our our main um, underlying narrative is improving human performance. So, uh, So this is out there for anyone. This is out there for anyone. So basically, if, if you're, it's designed for kind of businesses um, and, you know, big organizations around how they can optimize human performance in their workforce as, as best they can to prepare them basically for the future of work. So we have guests from uh, with backgrounds in kind of sports, certainly in healthcare, um, in business and sales, but all with kind of underlying amazing stories about how they've uh, performed, how they've learned, how they um, have integrated either training or technology to, to improve their workforce and improve their performance. If someone wants to listen to it, how do they find it? Uh, yeah, so that's the the, uh, the Human Performance Podcast. That's available on Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, and and, everywhere, and all the kind of other podcast mediums, um, and, and also through our website, which is verti.com. That's always an interesting. I'm always confused about how to say that. You know, where is it available? Well, uh, kind of everywhere. How do I how do I describe <laughs> <Yeah>. it? <laughs> uh, well, look, Alex, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today and to find out a little bit more about Verti. Obviously, uh, something that has has practical um, implementation far beyond the COVID crisis, but I suppose is 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 brought into sharp focus by what's going on right now. So, good luck, and I hope it continues to go well. Thank you so much. Look, I mean, this this is your first appearance on Tech Talk. So rather than me, who doesn't actually know a huge amount about health tech beyond what I've learned over the series of, of podcasts, what stood out to you listening to, to what Alex had to say? It's just incredible, isn't it? I think that medical education in general has needed a revamp for, for ages. And it's kind of been one of those neglected things, right, that every every other kind of area was starting to get a bit of a revamp but medical education was always is always taught in modules so now you're going to learn this then you're going to learn this then you're going to learn this and if you know whenever you go to see your doctor you you're not going to them like this section of my body is hurting and I think it is part of this system you are going like I don't generally feel well today what could be the cause and you have to as a doctor be able to integrate all of that together right so the work that Alex is doing with Bertie is brilliant because you're actually getting that real life integrated kind of learning experience um, at the same time what do you think well, I think, I think that's an interesting comment, right? Because what, listening to you there almost sounds like it's it's got greater 
application and use for a GP than necessarily a surgeon. Immediately when you hear about virtue and you think about virtual environments and you hear Alex talking about um, practicing on a, on a wooden bone, it's it's surgery, right? It's surgery that you immediately jump to or or maybe accident and emergency, so high-pressure situations. And, and it's interesting because I remember a few years ago I was talking to um, the CIO at Kingston University who was talking about the fact that they had an immersive room which kind of had uh, screens everywhere and sound to try and recreate the pressure of a situation in a safe environment. But totally to your point, you do go to a GP and invariably they turn to the internet, which I don't mind because they're not walking <laughs> encyclopedias. Some people seem to be put off by it, but for heaven's sake, most you know people don't know everything. You, you need to be able to apply knowledge. You're not, it's not all there, right? And it does sound like what you're suggesting is that this, this has more application there. Yeah, and you know what? What you're saying is interesting because it's it's every angle of how you learn, right? And is it whether it's GP, whether it's surgery, whether whatever bit in healthcare or even beyond healthcare, right? And like you're seeing that it's happening now. This isn't the future that we're talking about. This isn't like cool things thinking about headsets in the future. Right now in COVID, people like Imperial College London, where you know I'm based, is they've had to redesign their curriculum and that has now incorporated virtual reality and, you know, virtual ward rounds into it because you can't have students on the ward. How are you going to teach them? So mm. now it's not just a, this is a nice to have, this is now a necessity because you can't be putting students in this situation and you can't be putting patients in this situation as well. So I think that there's so many uses for it, but ultimately right now as well, mm. there is an extreme need for it. I'm going to say something that might be incredibly stupid. Um, I was listening to it and I was like, this is fantastic. Obviously, um, broadening out the opportunity for education. Yeah. Making sure that you're not restricted by who teaches you. Yeah. Fantastic. The world needs more doctors. But equally, the NHS, I would imagine benefits from the fact that British, un British institutions are seen globally as really good centers for teaching. And something like this has the ability to disrupt that and <laughs> make that teaching far more accessible to anybody anywhere, which I suppose you could argue weakens the strength of British institutions to bring people from overseas to be doctors in our system. So is, is, that, a is that a relevant concern or is that just someone who doesn't really understand how the system works going, is, is that a slight double-edged sword to how successful this could be? I mean, disruption can come in any industry, right? And it's what you do with it. Do you run with it and do you enable it or do you fight it? And that will distinguish how, you know, the success of the academic institution. So um, some institutions are adopting innovative ways. When, you know, when examinations couldn't happen, some institutions were doing virtual, uh, you know, e-online e examinations and still passing their final year medical students some weren't and that all speaks volumes as to if you're going to adopt it if you're not if you're not going to adopt these innovations and you're not going to adopt these game-changing things then yeah they might just outcompete you but mm. I don't think it will ever replace like a big academic institution I think it will um, be something different and something that maybe students might want but saying this right you have to think about the different learning styles as well right so everyone learns in a different way and like fine, yeah, like this. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I find like this might really suit like an activist, you know, like if you look at like Honey and Mumford's style of like learning styles that they've got, right, you've got your activists, you've got your pragmatists, you've got your reflectors and you've got your theorists. And so here, you, like you're really targeting certain types of learning, but some people really like being the theorists and really like reading the books. And that is like their thing. And they love learning the theory first and then going off and doing it later. So um, having an option, like a almost like a, a supermarket checkout suite of, you know, all of the different ways that you could learn. Now that is the future, right? So having like a loads of different ways for, and it could cater to any style of student. If we can have the future of education, which is very personalized to how you learn, whew, 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 now, now we're going to make some good doctors. Do you think this is going to challenge some people who are already in the system in terms of, I don't know whether I articulated it very well, but I was trying to get at the point with Alex that there, there will be some people who might be quite resistant to it. And I remember when my sister was at university, she went she went to Cambridge, she had friends who were doctors or medical students at the time who obviously were studying alongside her. Uh, she is not a doctor, she's Arcananth um, graduate, uh, but she, she had many friends who were doing medicine. And then she had school friends who were doing medicine at places like Newcastle and Nottingham. And I remember them all having this conversation that, there was this thing that the Oxbridge students hadn't ever really seen a patient until they were almost third year versus the uh, Newcastle and Nottingham students who kind of saw them in the first year. And you would kind of imagine that doctors who came, you, you know, you were saying there are different learning styles. Some of those institutions will probably make slightly more academic style doctors and, and others slightly more practical. And those academic style doctors might struggle with, with this. Or do you think that actually, no, they're, they're likely to embrace it because they'll just see the benefits? Well, here's the thing, right? We have the saying, well, we have the saying at Redwood School, what do you call the person that graduates bottom of med school class? A doctor. And so if, right, so every single one of these people could be treating you, right? Whether you're an academic style learner or you're a, you know, practical style learner, whether you are, you know, someone that went to university that encouraged this style or that style, any single one of those people that graduate could be treating you so ultimately we need to be giving them the platform to be able to learn in the best way to be able to provide the best care in the future so maybe it might not suit some people but it, but it will suit a lot of people look the other the other kind of question mark i have really is not at all with the tech uh, i think i think the text i think it sounds like we're kind of agreeing that this is a fantastic tool and, and alex is building something <laughs> great here but and and one of the other kind of brilliant points that it has is like all good tech solutions, it would appear to be very scalable. Problem is, is the NHS <laughs> built for something that's highly scalable? I mean, how 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 can we make it easier, not just for Verti, but for for other doctorpreneurs, for you know, for want of of any other phrase, coming in, looking at something, going, you know what, I. He, there's someone who is a surgeon who thinks they can make things better, who thinks they can create a better le learning or teaching environment and then drive it through the system to a point where everyone has access to it. Cause that would appear to be the biggest hurdle for all of the, all of these innovations. I mean, like, you just, you've hit the nail on the head, right? Like that is one of the biggest problems that we're facing right now is that we've got incredible innovations that just get moved to the U S you know, they, they start here and then they get, adopted by the US and completely not adopted here or or you know a different country it doesn't have to be the US but 
how are we going to champion this in-house? How are we going to keep talent here? How are we going to grow healthcare technology talent in the UK? That's like a really big, big challenge. And I I don't have the answer for you. I think if anyone had the answer, then they're lying to you because we don't know. We're still, some of our computers are still working on, you know, like Windows XP or something. And, you know, I guessed it before that science and technology is, you know, is, is made boring at schools. And sometimes it really is. And, and this is the point is that are we even encouraging people to go into health tech? Are we encouraging a generation to be inspired to further the questions that we've got? And then once we've done that, what are we doing with them? Are we championing them to bring their innovations in? Or are we just kind of leaving them to be swept up by some other country that can adopt it better than us? There is there is something there that I think would be quite cool if if, if Verti could kind of be put in a in a 14-year-old, maybe even younger. I don't know how graphic it is if it's teaching people <laughs> medical procedures. <laughs> maybe there might be some slight kind of maybe not see that kids. But if if you're a a, a young a young girl for 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 uh, example, or from from a minority group um, that's not gender related, and you might look at, at STEM subjects and it's all boys and you're kind of struggling to identify, but then you put this headset on and go, "Wow, this is cool." And it brings it to life, right, in a way that school probably doesn't often offer the opportunity to. It's not like you can go into a into a surgery, scrub into a surgery midpoint and go, this is what you could be doing. I completely agree with you. And I'm going to give you an example. I was, for my medical elective last year, I went down to Malawi. And when I was there, the surgeries that get done at one of the, the hospitals I was at are not done by doctors or surgeons. They're done by uh, like healthcare associates that have done a shorter degree course. And um, it's not your typical style of surgery that you'd expect here. But right. they're learning on the job as well as they can. And when I told them about some of the different platforms that you can use to train up, you know, via apps, via different videos or things like that, and they can just open it up on their phone and they can start training wherever they are. And this breaks down so many barriers, right? Diversity, lack of education worldwide, you know, that what he was saying about having a benchmark that we can actually judge what makes a qualified doctor a qualified. We don't have that benchmark around the world, right? Like what makes you a good doctor? How can you transfer your skills? If we can universally, I mean, this is the dream, right? We have a global shortage of healthcare professionals. I mean, that's that's no that I'm not I'm not making this up, right? Like that is known. And if we can make it easier to train healthcare professionals, if we can make it a universal standard to, to train up healthcare professionals, we can allow more mobilization of healthcare workers, we could be in a really better position than we are in right now. And platforms like Verti enable that to be in the hands of not just the healthcare professionals, but exactly what you're saying. Inspire the next generation. Well, look, we're not going to um, we're not going to have any news today. We, we often have a bit of frivolous news, but I felt it was it was worthwhile spending <laughs> a bit more time talking about this. Uh, Mala, thank you very much for joining us for today's show and guest co-hosting. Uh, do come back. I think if we have anything else <laughs> medical. It would always. You're always very welcome to add a bit of credibility to the show. That, that's uh, that's that's for certain. And uh, enjoy the rest of your evening, because at the same time, anyone listening won't necessarily know this, but you've uh, given up some time quite late on to do this. So I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me.